All right, let's, let's jump into today's uh, sermon. Um, we're at chapter three, as you've just noticed. Um, let me just give you an overview of chapter one and two. Um, and so chapter one, uh, if you remember, uh, we saw Nehemiah, a conviction, uh, gave a bit of context, but he, I said he had the conviction to think, to feel, and to act. And so he was thinking about uh, God and his people. And so he asked about uh, God's people. Um, and then he felt a great emotion. He weeps and he mourns. And then he acts on that emotion um, and conviction, and he begins to pray. Right? And then last week in chapter 2, uh, we saw uh, Nehemiah take those convictions further into action. Right, so despite the what I called conviction killers or the obstacles in his way, he pushed through. Right, and so despite the delay, um, the four months, um, he kept pushing through. Despite the dread and the fear of what it might cost, uh, maybe even his life, uh, he had that hard conversation with uh, the king. And despite the discouragement that was coming in different forms, uh, he pushed through in courageous faith. Right, and at the end of chapter two, um, I said that Nehemiah he rallies the group of Jews. Um, to build the walls. And he says in verse 17, uh, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. Right? So this is his rally cry. And the word derision here uh, is kind of a key word. It means shame or ridicule. And so he's saying Jerusalem uh, is being ridiculed because it's in a state of ruin. Um, and it's not just about Jerusalem, the city, but connected to that is, again, God's, God's um, fame or God's reputation, right? God is being shamed and ridiculed. Uh, if you look at you know, different parts of the Bible, like Psalm 48, uh, you know, Jerusalem is meant to be this beautiful place that is at the center of God's blessing. And um, it's meant to flow out then to bless the world, right? It's a beautiful in elevation. It's the joy of all the earth, Mount Zion, right? the city of the great king. Uh, but in its ruined state, it's uh, shameful, uh, not only to the people, but to God. And so at the end of chapter 2, we have this uh, very beautiful response by the people of God. Right? Nehemiah says, I told them of the hand of my God that had been, had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hand for the good work, right? And so everyone's like, yes, you, you were convicted. You've won us over, right? Let's do this. Let's build, right? And that's kind of how chapter two ends. And so as we find ourselves in chapter three, we're going to find uh, the people at work, right? They're going to start building the wall. And that's what we're looking at today. And again, it's a beautiful picture of what is possible when God's people rally around God's vision. Uh, with God's conviction to do God's work, right? It's a picture, just a rare image, really, of the people of God doing well, right? Because so often in the Bible, they're not doing well. But it's a good, like, a moment where we get to savor uh, what it might look like, right? Especially for the church now today, if we rally around God's vision with God's conviction to do God's work. And so I hope it encourages all of us at Kingsway as we are doing God's work, um, yeah, to keep doing what we're doing. Now, if you kind of skim through, skim through the uh, chapter, uh, whatever you read is probably like whatever you didn't read. Right? The whole chapter is very similar. Right? So-and-so repaired this part of the wall. Next to them, so-and-so built this part of the wall. Next to him, so-and-so, etc. It kind of keeps going on and on. And uh, you know, if we're honest, uh, these passages aren't the easiest to read. Uh, they're not the easiest to preach from. Um, I don't know if you come through passages like this in your Bible reading, uh, 
the temptation is to kind of start speed reading like you like on youtube when you increase the speed and you just kind of start reading every 10th word um and when we plan out a sermon series the temptation is you know try to get someone else to preach it um but i don't know why i ended up preaching it um but you know we need to remember whenever we come across passages like this um what second timothy says that all scripture is breathed out by god right all scripture and it's profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness and you know i just want to encourage you whenever you come across passages like this um just just three things very quick um try to read it in context right that's the first thing uh a lot of these lists are in historical books uh they're uh, basically a record of what is going on. So if it's a genealogy, someone you know, gave birth to someone, gave birth to someone, uh, that's for historic uh, sake. And so we need to kind of understand that and accept that's the way it is. It might not be the most profound passage, um, but you know, it makes sense, right? That's why it's in the Bible. But also, secondly, uh, we should be expectant. Right? Timothy said, um, all of scripture is profitable. And so every time we come to a passage, you know, even like today, uh, we should be like, take it like a challenge, right? What can I find here, right? Even though it feels like there's nothing there, right? Take it as a challenge. And what can I see? What is repeated, right? What stands out, right? What's not repeated and is unique, right? And kind of read it like that. And I'll, and I'll point out some stuff today. And the third thing I'd encourage you to do when you come to passages like this is get some help. Right? And so read it in context, be expected and get some help. Um, this is where a study Bible comes in handy or a single volume commentary, uh, it'll kind of give you some insight on what's happening. And so when we read Nehemiah chapter three, there's a lot of places and a lot of names, but if you open up a study Bible or a commentary, it will actually explain uh, the sheep gate. It's called the sheep gate because of this reason, right? The fish gate is called the fish gate because of this reason, right? And that kind of helps you understand um, some of what's going on. Now we won't go into all those details, uh, but I will point out uh, some interesting things uh, today. But before we go into the first point, I just want to say, uh, as you read the whole chapter, uh, you may feel tired at the sheer size of the number of names, the number of places. And that's a reflection of the sheer size of the project uh, that the Israelites are undertaking. Right? It's a lot of work. There's a lot of parts to this war. There's a lot of people involved here. And it just made me think, uh, it's, it's one thing to have a conviction or a dream. Uh, but it's another thing to try to accomplish it. Right? When th- something's a, a vague dream, it's like, oh, that's nice. Like, oh, let's, you know, for example, let's get married. Oh, it's so beautiful. And then, you know, the people who are, who are preparing for a wedding may know when you actually start to prepare it, it like quickly loses its glamour, right? It, it's hard work to prepare for a wedding. And eventually you're like, I, I just want it over and done with. Right? And maybe you feel that way a little bit uh, about y- your, your wedding, no jokes, about the church plan. Um, you know, it was a beautiful dream, like, oh, it'd be nice to plant a church, uh, but we're in the midst of it, and it's quite a lot of hard work. Uh, but I want to encourage you again, uh, like the Israelites here uh, who banded together, who gave it their all, right, that we would push through in the remaining eight weeks. Okay, so I've got two, two points I want to point out today. The first thing uh, we want to look at is diversity and unity. This is something that we've talked about quite frequently uh, throughout um, this year, uh, but it pops up again here in this passage. It's one of those things that really stands out. You know, as you read chapter three, again, uh, it's easy to get lost in all the names, in all the places, in all the people. Uh, it feels like a bit of a mess, right? Just like a whole jumble of stuff. And, you know, really that's exactly what it is. It's a, it's a beautiful mess of a variety of different kinds of people. And if you inspect a little bit closer, 
you know, at the descriptions, you find just how random these people really are. You have professionals, you have priests, you have servants, craftsmen, tradesmen, rulers, you have just regular folk, you have men, women, and sons and daughters from all these different places. Right? This is, isn't just like one kind of people. They're not all builders or they're not all priests, right? They're all mixed up. And really the only commonality that they have is that they're the people of God who are on mission for God. But that's really the only common thread among all these people. They are the people of God on mission for God. And that one thing is really enough to bring them together, right, in this moment. Right. This is the re reflection of what the church is today. It's a, it's a place of diversity we've been seeing throughout this year. Um, Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 12, that the body doesn't consist of one member, but of many. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body, right? And in this passage, Paul is talking about both the diversity of our physical body, but then also how it joins together to make one body. And similarly, the church is made up of these diverse parts and skills and gifts all coming together to make one church, right? And when we look at Kingsway, um, we have much to celebrate, right? Even now, we have a lot of diversity, right? We have diversity in age, we have all the way from like newborns, babies, kids, you know, kind of all the way to an age I won't name. <laughs> you know, we kind of, not, not, not that old, you know, we're not that old, but you know, it's a good spread, good spread of age. Um, we've got different skills, right? And we see it in all the ministry and admin teams. Uh, we've got a lot of different life seasons, right? We have uh, people in primary school, um, students, university, uh, working. Uh, we have singles, dating, married. We have empty nesters, right? People who, you know, let the kids go and, they now live at home, right? And so we've got a great uh, bunch of diverse people. And I think that's really awesome. And that's worth celebrating, right? At the same time, as we've been saying, uh, we can push for greater diversity, right? We want to continue to strive uh, in the long-term future to push the boundaries, whether that's in age, right? It'd be great if we had more primary, had more high school, had more university age people, um, and also push for greater ethnic diversity, right? But not only is there diversity here, uh, we, see, we see unity. This uh, chapter filled with these uh, different names of different ages and skills and status uh, is, is kind of slotted in like between each name, right? If you've got the different people, right? In the chapter, between the people is a repeated phrase, right? And you might be able to see it here in verse two, four, five. It says, next to him, the men of Jericho, and next to them, Zerker, the son of Imri, built. Verse 4, next to them, Merimoth. Right? It kind of keeps going. Next to them, next to them, next to them. Right? If you go down later, it becomes after him, after them, after him. Right? Those phrases, next to him, next to them, and after him, after them, is found 31 times in this chapter. Right? 31 times, next to him, next to them. Right? After him, after them. Right? I counted. I counted like a few times. And, and, and what that leaves us with is not just a bunch of diverse people, but they're like side by side, right? This diverse people, shoulder to shoulder, uh, kind of working for a common conviction, right? toiling away because they have the same vision and mission to build God's kingdom. 
And so we have on one hand diversity, but they're all kind of together working for the same thing, right? We have unity. And so despite their diversity, they're not divided, they're not dispersed, they're not in certain categories, the old people go here, or the rulers go here, or the priests go here, but they're kind of all over the place, just side by side, pursuing the same purpose. And that's what we kind of get an image of as we step back and look at chapter three. We have unity and we have diversity. Again, something that the church is meant to embody. Now, this is hard, and we've talked about how difficult it is. You know, whenever there is diversity, by definition, there are differences. Right? That's what diversity is. And we see it in this passage. We see it at Kingsway, age, skills, status. And whenever there are differences, that means there's always a reason for someone to say, I don't belong here. Right? So whenever there's diversity, there's differences. And because there's differences, there's always reason to say, you know, I don't belong here because I am different. And there's, you know, a lot of things that need to happen. Um, but what, one thing I want to say is for those on the fringe, right, for those who feel like, you know, I'm to whatever, there needs to be a level of humility uh, so that we can keep the unity. Right? There needs to be humility. Right? Let me explain what that means. When I say humility, I don't mean, and you might have heard this definition, I'm not saying think less of yourself, but think of yourself less, right? Does that make sense? You're not thinking less of yourself, like, oh, you know, uh, humility is not, oh, I I'm not that good, you know, I'm not that gifted. That's not humility. That's thinking less of yourself, but we're meant to think of ourselves less, right? Stop thinking so much about me, right? And, you know, whatever. Um, and what ends up happening often is that those on the fringe kind of think of themselves too much and kind of exclude themselves because I'm too you know, busy, too old, too young, too holy, too different, too cool, too important. And because of those reasons, right, because they're thinking of themselves, they won't get involved. But in this passage, uh, we find in verse 5 uh, these uh, Tekoite uh, rulers. Um, it says next to them, the Tekoites repaired, uh, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. Right? These nobles um, wouldn't stoop. And that word stoop uh, literally means they wouldn't bend their neck. They had an unbending neck. And that's a phrase used in the Bible, you know, throughout the Old Testament and agriculture to talk about stubbornness, pride, right? You just, you won't bend, right? And so they won't be moved. They're too prideful to serve their Lord. They're too good, basically, because of their status to get involved. Right? And this pops up in different kinds of ways that whenever you're too much of something, right? again, too busy or too old or too young or too holy or too different or too cool or too important, we say, well, I I'm not going to get involved. And as long as there are people who say that, we will never have unity in diversity. Right? We will never be able to embrace the people on the fringe because the people on the fringe will, will be too whatever, too different to you know, be involved. And so one thing that is required for us to maintain unity is that for the people on the fridge, fringe to be humble to a degree and to lay aside what might make you feel different and put in the effort to be involved. Um, you know, I remember once um, we, were at the, we were at an event. Um, it was one of the first AM and PM get-together events, I think after I took over AM, and uh, uni was saying how there, there were these games being played. And I think they were quite 
you know, PM oriented games because that's what we were used to. And so a little bit like rowdy, a little bit childish. And there were like a very few old AMers at that event, right? And understandably, um, they, they felt left out and everything felt a bit childish. Um, but Yini was saying how Chris Nam, right, uh, was, like, was just getting involved, right? And he was able to get involved uh, because of one reason, right? He, not because he's childish, <laughs> but because he's humble, right? He could have said, you know, I'm too old for these games or, you know, uh, I'm important, I'm a doctor and my hands, you know, take care of my hands or, you know, I don't know what it is. There's always reasons. Um, but to see someone, um, you know, who had reasons not to get involved, get involved was such like an encouragement, I think, to see. And that's why Uni was always telling me. And, um, you know, the tech white rulers weren't able to do that. But throughout the passage, you find other people who are. Um, you know, the tech white rulers are the only ones mentioned, actually, in the passage who weren't unified, right, which really emphasizes how much unity there was apart from them. There are eight other rulers found in chapter three who are in the same status as the tech white rulers who do get involved, right? In verse 12, we find this guy, Shalom, the son of Halohesh, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem. I don't know how big that is, but that sounds like quite a lot. Right, he's the ruler of half the district, and he repaired. He and his daughters. And so not only is this guy a person you could say, well, uh, I'm too good, I'm a ruler to get involved and to get my hands dirty and build a wall. Who am I? I'm, I'm a ruler. You know, I get other people to do that. He's not too good to say that, but also um, he's, he's quite old, right? And it says he has daughters, and they're not children. And you're not going to bring children to a workplace. They're, they're old enough to help in the repair. And so he must be, you know, I, I don't know where, where you want to put it, 40s, 50s, around the 60s. But he's humble enough, right, to say, I'm not too good, I'm not too old, but I'm going to get involved. Throughout the passage, you find other rulers who lay down their age. We have these daughters who lay aside their agendas. We have priests who lay aside their holiness. Um, and everyone's getting involved in humility right, for God's glory. You know, this, this reminds us of our Lord Jesus, uh, who was not too good, um, even though he was too good. Uh, but he didn't think of himself as too good. And in humility, he got on his knees and he served his disciples. In humility, he got on the cross to serve the world. Right? He had all the excuses in the world to say, you know, I'm too different. Of course he was, but he still got involved and he served. Um, and that's kind of the image of the church. We're meant to imitate that. None of us are too good. None of us are too different. None of us are too cool right, to get involved. You know, we see here in this passage what is possible uh, when a ragtag group of random people who are very different are unified and they pursue a common goal. And what happens is these random people, they rebuild the walls of God's holy city. Right? That's what's possible when people lay aside their differences to accomplish something for God. And this image of a people striving side by side is exactly what we should at Kingsway look like right now, right? At this moment, that should be us. I'm not saying that's not us. I think, I think, I think we are kind of there, but I do think we could do better. Because if there's ever a time in Kingsway's hopefully long history that we should look unified it's right now, right? Eight weeks from launch. There's never going to be a time when Kingsway will be as unified as it is now. When we launch, 
We're going to get much more diverse, a lot more people, right? It will be harder, right? This is the moment when we should feel maybe closest, right? And as one body, right? Side by side, shoulder to shoulder, right? Doing God's work. And I just want to say, if, if, if you feel like you're on the fringe, uh, for whatever reason, right, like I named too important, too young, too old, you know, too holy, too cool, whatever it is, you know, I, I, I want to um, encourage you to join in and get involved, uh, to put in the effort, uh, to be alongside uh, the rest of us side by side to build this church, uh, because that's why we're here. Um, otherwise, you know, there's no reason to be in a church plant team. Um, and so, you know, let's, let's all kind of be in the trenches together, right, in these last eight weeks, unified despite our diversity. The second uh, thing, and I've only got two points today, I want to point out uh, the cost and the commitment that we see. Uh, no great thing uh, worth accomplishing is without cost. Right? No great thing worth accomplishing is without cost or sacrifice. And so that means in order to accomplish any great thing, uh, we need people who are willing to pay the cost, right? We need people who are gonna see the cost and say, but, but I'm willing to take that sacrifice and make this happen, right? And that's what we find here in this passage. Often you get one or the other, right? You will have people, a lot of people who are maybe quote unquote committed to something that costs them very little, right? But when the cost increases, right, the commitment drops and you have very few people, right? It tends to be one or the other, a lot of commitment and a little cost or a lot of cost, little commitment of people. But here in the passage, we're going to find that there is extremely high cost, and, but there is also high commitment from the people there, right? And this is another beautiful thing that we're going to see in the people of God. Cost. The main cost or sacrifice uh, from the people uh, that was required of the people was that each of them had to leave uh, their homes or their family or their jobs or all of them, right, depending on who they were, um, especially for the people who came from far away. Right? There, there are people, and I put in the verses here, there are people from Jericho, from Tekoa, Gideon, Mizpah, Zenoa, Beth. Hakarim, Bethzer, Kayla, but these are all these people who came from different places um, to build a wall. And so they didn't just have to uh, give up the time and the fuel costs to travel there, but they had to leave behind their home and their family. But they're also doing this on a volunteer basis, right? They're not being paid for this. So voluntarily, they're leaving behind all these things while also leaving behind their job. So they're making a sacrifice in terms of income, security, and pouring their time and energy into building a wall, which they're not going to get paid for. Right? This is a lot um, of cost right, for these people. But there's more. Because we find out later in chapter 4 that there is opposition, and I'll talk about the opposition next week. But the opposition means that uh, these people are asked to not go back home until the walls are finished. We need to protect the walls. We need to protect the city. We need to protect each other. And so each of us, let's stay here until we finish for, for who knows how long until the walls are done. Right? That, that's an additional extreme cost. 
Now, I don't know if you follow the NBA, uh, but not long ago, uh, the NBA had their finals. Um, and I don't normally follow the NBA, uh, but last year, uh, some people, they created this thing called fantasy basketball where you choose your own team and then you get points. And because of that, I started looking into the NBA because I had no idea who anyone was. And so, I, you know, I watched a little bit of the playoffs and the finals. Um, and this year was different because of COVID-19, right? because of, you know, uh, you didn't want people infecting each other. All of the teams and players in the playoffs, which is kind of like the um, two to three months of um, finals, I guess, they all had to move to Disney World in Orlando or it's next to Orlando and stay there, right, for three months, right? If you made the finals, you're there for around three months, right? And for three months, you couldn't see your family. You couldn't go back home. You couldn't sleep in your own bed, but you're kind of stuck there in Disney World. And, you know, what was constantly expressed was how difficult it was, right, for the players and for the coaches to be separated from family, home, comfort, et cetera. And they talked about this a lot, right? The cost of being stuck there and how excited they were, even like when they win the finals, they're like, I'm excited to go home you know, and be with my family and to see them, right? And that's understandable, right? It's a big cost. Uh, but for the Israelites, it was, it was so much worse. Not only are they in the same situation, away from family and loved ones and the comfort of their home, but they're volunteering. They're not getting paid for this, or at least the NBA players, they're getting paid millions of dollars. Right? Their lives are in real danger. Right? Their opponents want to kill them. They might be killed for this. And they don't have FaceTime to call their family and be like, how are you doing? They don't have any communication to make sure that they're safe. Right? They're stuck in isolation in these walls, building it, worried about how their family is faring. There is extremely high cost here from these volunteers. They're risking everything, even their lives. And yet, there is high commitment. And this is really remarkable. In Nehemiah 4, this is what Nehemiah says. He says, we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height. So they make it about 50%. And he says, for the people had a mind to work. Right in chapter 3, they start, but already by chapter 4, they're halfway. And despite the diversity and the costs and the opposition, because the people had a mind to work, because they were committed to this, they got that far. Right? These people were committed. Some were committed above and beyond. Right? I just want to point out two examples. Some did double work. Right? Their names show up more than once. Right? One example, again, is the Tekoites. Even though the rulers wouldn't get involved, the Tekoites themselves were so keen that they worked in two parts of the wall, right? Them and Merimoth and Hasseb and maybe Hananiah and Hanun. Right? These people were so keen, right? Because if, if you didn't want to be involved with it and you were forced to, you just kind of slowly do your part of the wall, do the least that you have to so you can get away with it so no one notices. But that's not what they're doing. They complete their part of the work and they want to work on another part of the wall. Right? That's commitment. Not only were there people doing double work, this guy's doing dung work. Right? Malkaijah, the son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakram. So he's a ruler. Again, he, he, he should be too good to get involved, but he does. But listen to where he repairs. He repaired the dung gate. Right? He's doing dung work. Right? And you don't even need to know what the dung gate is. No one wants to work at the dung gate. Right? You want to work at the sheep gate? or the fish gate, 
but who wants to work at the dung gate, right? No one wants to work. The, the dung gate basically was the gate closest to the garbage dump outside of the city, right? So it's the, if any area was dirty or stinky or, you know, maybe, um, you know, disease, that's the place, right? Here we have a guy working at the dung gate, but it's not just any guy. Again, he's, the, he's a ruler, right? Humbling himself, committing to go above and beyond. Here, I'll work at the dung gate, right? I'll work there. But you see some extreme commitment throughout this passage. And again, we can't help thinking about Jesus, right? who at high cost was utterly committed to fulfill the work of God in order to build the kingdom and to build his church. And we are to imitate him. Right In the end, despite the high cost of being separated from family, home, income, life, the people were committed to the cause and they stuck through it. No one went home. And no one quit until the job was finished. And here's a spoiler warning. They end up finishing it. Right? They finished the wall in 52 days. The whole wall in 52 days. Right? I don't know. I feel like I couldn't build a table or like, you know, you know, a little bit of like a wall in 52 days. At 52 days, by the way, at Kingsway, I think we just got kicked out of Royal Rehab. <laughs> That's what we accomplished. We got kicked out of rehab. Um, but they built a wall. Right? That's a testimony to the kind of commitment that they had despite the cost that was in front of them. It wouldn't have happened without God, right? Nehemiah makes that clear in chapter six, but also it wouldn't have happened without the commitment of the people. And that's what he says in chapter four, right? It's both things. We need God, but God works through committed people, right? Who are on the same page for the same purpose and vision. Without Nehemiah's conviction, the project may never have started, but without the people's conviction, the project would never have been completed, right? This story isn't about one great person, right? The, the work of God today is never about one great person unless that one great person is Jesus Christ. It's about people, right? The church, the body working together, right? And that's what we see here. And that's what I see at Kingsway. And I want to encourage us to keep doing, right? I, I want to just kind of, I guess, use this moment to say thank you to everyone, right? It's kind of weird because I'm looking at the camera. I just thank you for the cost uh, that you've given and the sacrifice that you paid uh, to get us this far, right? To build God's kingdom. And I know leaving uh, the church that you were comfortable at and then going through everything we've done in the last nine uh, months was maybe not easy. And for some of us, uh, you had to give up things, a, a lot of things, uh, whether it was time, energy, finances, um, going on less holidays, whatever. Now, thank you for everything you've done to bring us to this point. And we would not have come to this point uh, without you, uh, without the church. Uh, no great thing worth accomplishing uh, is without cost or sacrifice. And I'm thankful that we have people who are willing to pay the cost. Um, and as we hit the last leg of this church launch, I just want to encourage us one last time to keep pushing forward. Maybe do double work, maybe some of us do some dung work um, so that we, like the people of God in Nehemiah, can build up the kingdom of God for his glory. You know, um, I guess, you know, when we launch, you know, on my heart, I, I don't want to set up just another church. I don't want us just to exist and uh, just gather because, you know, we can do that uh, quite easily. If God allows, I would love, love this church 
uh, to have eternity shaping influence and that we'd see an abundance of people saved and lives being transformed and that Sydney and Australia and maybe the world uh, will be different because we existed and because we started. And for that to happen, um, it requires a lot of commitment. It requires all of us to, you know, 100% of us to give really 100% of what we have. And that's a big ask for volunteers. And I don't mean 100% of your money or 100% of your time. I just mean, you know, 100% of your heart, really, that you would be all in. I mean, again, you're a volunteer and it's hard for me to ask that. And, and I don't think I could ask that of us to give, uh, to commit, if I didn't believe uh, that what we're doing is for God. But I, I could never ask you to do that for me. Right? But we're trying to do this for God. And I think like the people in Nehemiah 3 uh, who are willing to commit to God, I just want to ask you to commit to God. Right? As we hit this last, last stretch, uh, let's give everything that we are. So that when we launch... Um, yeah, that we would be shoulder to shoulder, that, that would be, we would feel like we did it together, every single one of us, that none of us were on the fringes, uh, that we all uh, were in the trenches together. I think that would just be a beautiful thing, um, despite the diversity that we found uh, unity and that despite the cost uh, that we gave commitment all the way through. And so the two questions um, maybe you guys can chat about. And the first one, what is one way you can personally contribute to greater unity at Kingsway? And the second is uh, God's people had high commitment despite high, high costs. How does this challenge you? And maybe you guys can share about that. 